Here's the plan all throughout uh, my time talking because in church it's usually one way. Thank God we're online only, so we get a chance to be the church all throughout. Feel free to press in if you want prayer at any time for anything. Our, our staff is here, and if you click the prayer button, it'll take you to a one-on-one group where you can chat and you can engage in prayer over anything in real time. So they're there at home waiting to connect with you. I just invite you to do that. Don't waste this opportunity. And for the rest of us, look, let's just be God's family. Normally you don't physically talk while I'm talking. Thank you. Unless you're an infant in the room and then you don't care. You just want milk or a diaper change. But for the rest of us, let's use today to chat. If you hear something that's meaningful, if it brings something to mind, if a verse or a thought comes to you that you want to share, please use the chat and we would love uh, to hear from you. Michelle, you're grateful for cold water. Hopefully that's not a shower. Eesh. But uh, yeah, let's just thank God for the simple things. All right, here we go. Um, we're not going to sing together today, but rather we're going to engage in the beginning of our series, which is called Resilient Faith. You probably saw it on the screen as we came up. And um, if you're frustrated by not being in the room after these weeks that we've been together and more and more people have been coming, uh, you're not alone. I join you in that frustration. Yet at the same token, I'm just here to say this is a temporary setback, okay? This is just one week where we're being ultra smart uh, for the good and the sake of those who, who are already ill or we don't want to get ill. And just as a heads up, the couple of team members that uh, did come down with COVID, I've checked on them. They are doing better, praise you, Jesus, and uh, are recouping at home. But it's a temporary setback. Yet at the same token, we're going to be back next week, June 13th, 9 and 11 o'clock, right here in the building. And our kids will be open at 11 for all of our kids, infants through grade five. But what's helped me in moments like this, and it was interesting on Thursday as we made this decision, there was a bit of a like, you know, behind the scenes like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? But yet there is a piece. I had no problem making the call and then taking the steps to inform me about the call because I think that the last year has helped me with this gift called perspective. Perspective. We need it. And the last year has been hard, but it's also been a gift for all of us to think about what's going on in our world in light of what's going on all around us. And for those of you, maybe you've been born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, or you've spent most of your time in one area, and you haven't had the, the ability to travel or connect people in other cultures and places, you'll realize that perspective is gained when you see life, not just through your eyes, but through others' uh, experiences. And so I've been tracking in Oregon, if you're watching and you're not from here, in Oregon, the very slow reopening, right? And what I have found is that connecting with other leaders in other places has helped me be grateful for what I have here. Let me give you an example. We started meeting again in person September of last year, which for some of you was like, man, it took forever for us to meet. Well, I'm connected with our friends in, in Scotland and in Britain and in Northern Ireland. And as I've been going back and forth, many of them weren't able to meet in person at all until Easter of this year, which was like just a couple of months ago. And some of them are still rolling out a good friend, Josh, who's at Rehope in Belfast. It's just been the last couple of weeks because during COVID, they lost the space that they were meeting in. They're meeting in a hotel and hotel in a hotel like um, conference room. And those spaces aren't even open yet. So it took them to, I think, just two or three weeks ago. Imagine not meeting in person from March of last year till three weeks ago. See, we have a gift call, Perspective. And if you think our situation's hard, just think about our friends in northern Uganda, in Arua, uh, Pastor JP in Arua Community Church. I'm in touch with them often. And uh, they've had setbacks. But here's the difference. We've had something called a stimulus package uh, and a few distributions of funds. Well, perspective reminds us this has been hard. I'm not trying to minimize if this has been harder in your soul. I'm not making light of it. But our friends, our brothers and sisters, they are just re-emerging, just able to meet, but they're still very limited in number. They're still requiring masks at every place, which by the way, if you're in a very poor part of the world, getting clean and fresh masks is a difficult thing. And there's been no government support, no, no, no 
no, no government support. So people have gone months and months and months, not able to work and not able to bring in any income. And when you don't work, and if the crops don't grow in your little plot, if you have a little plot of land, you go hungry. And we've had like multiple distributions of stimulus to, to help. And some of you are like, man, this, I don't even know what to do with it. Or others are like, this has been my lifeline. But the gift of perspective helps us to see that our situation might be hard, but we sh- should see it in light of the broader story of what's going on. And again, I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through, but today we're going to start a conversation in a new series called uh, Resilient Faith. And I think the timing of this is amazing. And it's ironic that we're able to do this together digitally, but not even be in the same space. And now what, what is resilience? Today, I just want to, I want to set the stage. And over the next three months, all the way through, through Labor Day in early September, this is going to be our theme. What we believe is as we look at the Bible and we look at our world, what is required of Jesus' people is a faith that's resilient. Let's define the terms. Uh, resilience is defined as the ability to withstand or recover quickly from difficult circumstances. And it could be said like a chair that's flexible is resilient. You push on it and it snaps back. You could describe that as resilience. Or if you're in, involved in any athletics, resilience is the ability for your, your muscles to, be, to move, you, to do that bench press, which I know you were doing early this morning, right? And the ability for your muscles to, 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 to contract and then to push out again and recover. We, we, need res, we need resilience for anything in life. But also resilience has to do with the mind. Psychologists use this term all the time. It's the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, tragedy, or, or threats, or significant sources of stress. So even in psychology, we, we, we try to think in terms of building a person's inner being, inner self, as, as to grow in resilience, the ability to adapt well in the face of hard times. Well, what is resilient faith? I just want to define it today and take us to one Bible verse that I think uh, is going to set a firm foundation. We need to think about the foundation of our life. It's just like if you're starting a new health plan or a new exercise routine, the first thing you do is you gauge where you are. If you're going to go on a different kind of diet, first thing you do is take an inventory. What am I eating? What am I eating? How much am I eating? And then, and then you try to build around that. And if you're going to lift weights or run, you ought to think about what can I do now without getting hurt? And then you build to become stronger, adaptable, flexible, resilient. Well, resilient faith, I think, could be described this way. And this is how we're going to use it. Resilient faith is a posture of the heart, our mind, and our soul to remain steadfast in following Jesus while living in a culture in opposition to that pursuit. We'll just leave that on the screen and I'm going to read it again. Resilient faith is a posture of our heart, our mind, and our soul to remain steadfast in following Jesus while living in a culture in opposition to that pursuit. Pursuit. So here is the plan. Over the summer, we're going to look mostly at people in what we call the Old Testament, people who lived before Jesus, didn't have the advantage of, of God in the flesh, didn't have the advantage of seeing Jesus in person or hearing about him from someone who did see him in person. And we're going to look at these women and these men to see how challenging it was to follow the God they could not see and how they lived it out in their culture and, and lived uh, in an active pursuit of God, even when the culture around them was not going in that direction. And I think this is critical for us as we live in this hour, because what we're seeing, for those of you who have been alive a little bit longer, aka are older, you're noticing a trend in America that is unlike 20 years ago. Whereas 20 years ago, many people may have assumed that following Jesus is a positive thing, is a popular thing, is a healthy, life-giving thing. And it was kind of cool uh, to go to church or at least socially acceptable to, 
to read the Bible regularly, to quote from the Bible, to be in alignment with the way you live your life uh, that, that fits with the Bible. And what we're finding is in our culture that is eroding quickly. Now over the last 20 years, uh, I, I've been traveling and preaching in Europe, particularly Western Europe, at the same time in the U.S. And I've, I've watched where Europe has already been, like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, America is starting to trend now. In other words, we're not the first people to see a decline in people thinking of following Jesus as good, healthy, popular, life-giving, admirable. We're seeing a decline in our culture. Now hear me, that doesn't mean fewer people are actually following Jesus. Don't misinterpret the data. It just means in the cultural space, we're seeing more and more of an opposition or louder voices that are opposed to the way of Jesus. They're gaining more volume in mainstream media, in government and politics and education, in culture at large. If you do your own thing, uh, that is what's credible. Uh, I want to live not God's story. I'm living my story. Um, phrases like, well, I'm just trying to live my truth. So the, the idea that truth is whatever I make of it and don't talk to me about your truth, what's only valid is me living into my truth. That's, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just newer for those of us who've been born and raised in America to see that as popular because that's always been there. But, but, but the message of Jesus and the Christian faith has had a loud voice just in the marketplace. Well, we're noticing, any of us who've just been around for a while, that the trend is changing. So that's the cultural situation that we find ourselves in. The question is, are we going to have a posture of our heart, of our mind, of our soul that's going to remain steadfast in following Jesus while living in a very real culture that is not going with us in that pursuit? That's what it means to be resilient. So here's the plan. We're going to look at people throughout the Old Testament all summer long and find things in their life that we say, you know, wow, in Noah I ought to think about. In Abraham, gosh, I ought to consider. In Joseph, I see this and I want to live that out in my own life. And so that's, that's where we're headed. But for today, I want to look at, at one verse that's written at the end of a long letter, 1 Corinthians. We looked at it as a church years ago. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a church that's trying to live out their faith. They're trying to live resilient. And the culture of Corinth is diametrically opposed to the way of Jesus. To be a normal Corinthian was totally in the way you lived, in the way you ate, in the way you dressed, in the way you worked, in the way you treated your body, in the way you treated your money, in the way you worshipped, was in no way Jesus-like. And so a church was established and people started reading their Bibles and following Jesus. And so this letter is written to help them live with a heart posture, their mind, their soul, uh, living steadfast to Jesus. And it's interesting, at the end of the letter, he's got these like two little lines. And I want us to look at those this morning and five things that we see that could provide for us a beginning, a foundation. And we're going to build on this every week. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14 says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Do everything in love. Let's read it again. It's so short. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything in love. Okay, I just want to unpack these five because it could be the beginning of our conversation and get us on the same page when we say, I want a faith that's resilient. I think it involves these things and more, but at least we'll start with these things. But first, a convicting story. I've told it before, some years ago, I was in a, a country that's mostly closed to the gospel. I won't mention it by name. And uh, I was there to meet with leaders who are Jesus followers, Christian leaders, who are not part of established and recognized churches. You can call it underground, right? Or unregistered. And uh, it was very convicting because it's the closest I've ever been to being involved in like a 
spy movie. It was really weird. I went from my hotel and was picked up and we drove in a different direction every day. And we drove to, you know, eventually ended up at this apartment community and went in the back way and walked up the stairs up to a flat and I, and the door was open and I came in, we all quickly went in and you got to imagine like kind of one great room and a kitchen, not a huge flat. And there's probably 30 of us or so. I have a picture of him, of everybody together, but for obvious reasons, uh, I'm not going to show it. And so there were people already cooking in the kitchen, providing tea and, and meals. And then I sat there on the edge of like the dining room. All the furniture was pushed to the side. And there were people seated everywhere on every piece of furniture and totally covering the floor, just with their little notebooks and their Bibles, crossing their legs. And I, I, I taught for hours every day. We took a little lunch break and then the chatter. I didn't speak the local language, but through an interpreter, I spent a few days uh, investing in the lives of these godly women and men who had come from all over this very large country to be encouraged in the faith. But in the end, really, I'm thinking, what am I doing? You're the heroes. So in between the formal sessions, I just started to ask you know, questions to hear from them. And one of the questions I was really curious about is, what is it that you're doing? Because it's so uh, not proper to share your faith publicly, especially outside of a few buildings that, where it's allowable. How do you get this message of Jesus to people? How do you do it when the situation is so hard? And their stories still stick with me. I can, it, this, was, this was decades ago. Well, maybe less than two decades, but it was a long time ago. But I could still, I could visualize the leaders. It was that impressive. One guy, his name is Lazarus. It's not his real name, but he goes by Lazarus because he was on the verge of death. And according to the people around him, I have no reason not to believe them. Part of his testimony of becoming Jesus' follower is he was raised from the dead. He was not following Jesus, but through the prayer of some Christians, he was raised to life. He became a Christian, and now he's a pastor and a leader of a series of, and a network of churches. And so just hearing his stories and the things that they're doing, you know how they do mission as a church? Um, what they do is they set aside time and send people out by bicycle to bike literally from town to town. And as they're biking from town to town, the church back at home is praying for them. And they plot out a path and they're praying the whole way that God would send them to people that they can talk to, whether they stop to get something to eat or see someone in the field or uh, they're going to stay somewhere at night. And they go out two by twos by bike and they would share the gospel. But in the interest of safety, after sharing the gospel and spending a little time with them, they would just bike on and not say where they were going. And so they would make their way from city through all these towns to the next city and then make their way back and then report back to the church what God had done. Like, wow. It's sometimes hard to convince people that it's worthwhile to even get up on a Sunday morning and come to a very safe building that's climate controlled with a chair and it used to be refreshments. Those are coming back eventually. And I think I see these brothers and sisters who are willing to go out in the countryside and bike for days so that they can have the opportunity to share their faith. They're, they're, they share the gospel in hospitals. Where they are, when you're in the hospital, you're not given food, you're given medical care, but your day-to-day -day food, if you're there for weeks, is not provided for. So you're reliant on the hospitality of, hospitality of family and friends. But the challenge is, if you get ill and you're like hundreds of miles away from your family and friends, who's gonna provide for your food? And so they have people who are following Jesus, and quiet about it, letting the church know when someone is ill so that they can provide. And they literally come and provide. We heard you, heard you were here and they provide food and drink and comfort and care and prayer. And they use it as an open door, open door to share the faith. And another group was saying how what they do is in their towns, especially the more remote towns, whenever there is a wedding, there's a small parade with the families through town. And they tail end on the back of the parade. And in all the joy and celebration, they hand out little literature or, or share the faith with people who are there. When there's a funeral and there's a procession and a little bit of a parade through town to the funeral site, they're, they're there and they kind of jump in and offer prayer for people who are grieving and 
use it as an opportunity to share about the hope that there is in the God who, who raises the dead and is going to bring about a, a new world and a new body and the hope that we can have in Jesus. Now, mind you, all of this is risky, which is to me why I think this series is so important because like what we started with, perspective. What we need is a bit of perspective is to realize that following Jesus means something to you. The question is, what does that actually mean? And is your version of what you think it means to follow Jesus, is it resilient? Is the, the state of your heart and your mind and your soul, is the way you're living your life positioning you to be able to confront forces that are against the way of Jesus, yet keep you in a spot where you remain steadfast, no doubt. And the reason why this series is so important this hour is all of us, I think, could at least attest to one person that we know that in the past year, year and a half, we've watched from a distance their faith in Jesus wane. Um, I'll say just, I, I know some uh, here and in many parts of the country where I have lots of relationships where I've just watched people drop off for lots of reasons. And I'm not going to judge because uh, I don't know the heart, but it is sad when you see someone who is vibrantly, like seriously, consistently following Jesus and they're not there anymore. And that could be you watching right now. You're, 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 you're checking in online, but you look at the state of your own soul. You're like, man, I am not where I used to be. Or at least, like, I'm not where I should be in my active pursuit of this God that's real. I feel like my faith is waning. What I want to do is just call us to what it's going to take, because there's actually something you can do, to build some resilience in your following of Jesus. Okay, let's go to, to, go to the text and let's just unpack it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Five things. We're going to look at them rather quickly but they're quick to read. But I want you to take some time today and this week to think through what they mean for you. And I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to invite you to have a bit of confession on the chat and to chime in to your Jesus family uh, with some answers. All right, the first one says, be on your guard. That's, he's summarizing what he said in this letter. And if you read 1 Corinthians, you realize they were all sorts of all over the map when it came to following Jesus. And there's a lot of correctives. But at the end, he says, be on your guard. That means to be watchful or alert. Be in, in constant readiness. I love it. Because if you know a little bit of the original language, you realize uh, that these five things are, are commands. Now, we think of commands as a negative thing, like, don't tell me what to do. But these are a loving leader's words of, hey, if you want to make it, church in Corinth, these things are required. Uh, these things are essential. Forget about all the details in the letter. Those are hard to do. But if you want to really see a vibrant faith in your world and Corinth changed by the power of Jesus, it's going to require that you be watchful or live in constant Readiness, for those of you who like the technical terms, it's a present active indicative. Uh, be watchful or, or be on your guard is present. It's like now. And then when you read it tomorrow, now. When you read it the next day, now. It's like every day. This is something that doesn't happen once and done. It's something we're to be about. And it's active. Um, if something is passive, it's something that God or someone else does for me. Like they make me on my guard. No, this is something that you and I every day choose to do. We're, we activate it. We work on it. And it is a imperative. It's a command. And by the way, all of these lean in that direction. They're all saying, if you want a faith that will last, be on your guard. What does that mean in our everyday language? It means following Jesus and hear this. If you hear one thing, hear this. It has to be more than a weekend habit. I'll just pause and, and, and let it sink in. I, I wonder if faith and following Jesus for you is simply a weekend habit or a twice a month habit or when it makes sense for you and when you could fit it into the calendar habit. And now I'm not talking about going to buildings and sitting in meetings, but following Jesus, what does that actually mean in the 24-hour cycles that you're given every day? 
How much of your energy is put in being watchful, being alert, being in constant readiness? In other words, I have no idea what tomorrow will bring. I have no idea what today will bring. But I'm called as a Jesus follower to live in such a way that I'm actually thinking about Jesus. I'm actually thinking about my walk with him, my talk with him, what I need to receive from him, what he's asking me to do and live out. It has to be real. Following Jesus has to be more than a weekend habit. Uh, let's visualize this. Imagine driving your car this week with no access to the dashboard, uh, whether it's gas or electric. Uh, you have no access to data. That means you get, no, um, you get no access to a map or to know where you're going. Uh, you get no access to how much fuel or battery life you have. You have no idea what speed you're going. How... How good is the journey going to be if you're not watchful and careful and you're not like attuned to, how do you, how are you going to know if you're overheating? How are you going to know if you need a, a recharge Tesla fans or Prius if you're there? Whatever the case may be. What if, you, what if you're going to a new neighborhood and you have no access to a map? How easy is it going to be to get there? Well, obviously, we don't even think about it. But whenever we go somewhere in a vehicle, we immediately tune in to what's there so that we can get there quickly and safely. Now, what would it look like for us all to pursue a lifestyle where we long for constant readiness? Now, I'm not saying we don't have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or even a challenging year. But what would it look like, and this is what the call is today, what would it look like for us to say, like, you know what? I really want. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be honest. I want you to jump into the chat if you're there and just what's one thing that you ought to think about when it comes to being ready or staying alert? What's one thing that you can do to put yourself in a position where you are going to be more attuned to what God is doing and saying than you have been, say, in the previous season? Is there something that you could do to activate that? It could be big, it could be, it could be small. I want to invite you because we ought to learn from one another. What's one thing that you can do? And, and I'm going to invite you just to, to chat in. And again, we're on a little bit of a delay, so it may take a moment or two for me to see it. But I do want to read off some of the things that, that you guys are, are saying. All right, second one is we're called to stand firm in the faith. So God wants to shape us and use us and he wants us to be alert. That's fantastic. But we're called to stand firm in the faith. You could translate this, be firmly committed in conviction and belief. Again, it's the same thing, present, active, and it's an imperative. It's something that we, we do. We're, we're to be firmly convicted, uh, committed in what we believe. Now, here's, here's an assumption uh, that we actually are thinking about what we believe, that we're taking time. You know, following Jesus, it is a moment of decision, but it leads to a lifetime of adjustments. Uh, you, you will never, I love at the end of the Gospel of John, he, he, John writes this, and he spent years with Jesus, like face to face. He ate with him. He slept next to him. He was there at the cross. And he says, this is just, you know, writing to those of you so that you will believe. But if everything were to be written that Jesus said and did, the whole world couldn't fill up all the volumes. Now it's hyperbole, like the, the world is big, right? So you could write all the books of Jesus's few years on the earth and it would fit. But he's saying, it's like, you have no idea how much there is to know about Jesus. And we're called to, to be on our guard, right? Be ready be alert, and to, to know Jesus and to be firm in what we believe. This is something that if you combine the two, let's put it this way, so far we're to be in constant readiness, firmly committed to what we believe. Does that describe you right now? You don't have it all together. You don't know it all. I don't know it all. The more I study about Jesus, the more I lean into him, the more I realize Gosh, I have so much to learn. But, but do you want that? Are you actively trying to be on your guard, alert to what God's doing, and to live in a constant readiness, firmly growing and firmly believing? I think this is something that you and I 
can grow in. And by the way, this is not a guilt trip. This is an invitation. And that's why we're doing the series is to, to see in God's word to us, the Bible, God's put people in there so we can see the pattern of their life and follow the healthy patterns. But what we're going to see in Noah and Abraham and Joseph and everyone else, there's some patterns in their lives that were unhealthy. And God gives us both. The Bible is very honest about people because there are things we're supposed to copy and there's some things we're supposed to avoid. But you're, you're invited, okay? So here's why this matters. And by, by the way, just looking on the chat, I love it, Lynn. Spend time daily. I could fill my mind with truth. I love it. This is just, thank you. Create margin and be mindful of opportunities, taking advantage. This is, this is good stuff. I can, the Wilsons, I could actually study uh, the Bible. Uh, Bruce, I love it. I could memorize Psalms of praise. Wow. I, I could find one Psalm and put it to memory. Why? To prove I'm smart? No, so that I will meditate on it day and night. Think about it. And when trouble comes, God's word comes to mind and not just my trouble. See, this is, this is all great, great stuff. Uh, Jamie, I could build my daily rhythm around time with God, reading the word and listening prayer. See, we, we ought to learn from one another and encourage one another because the third and fourth thing go together. Let's just look at them. Uh, the third thing he says, be courageous. And this is interesting. If you read this literally in, in Greek, it says, it says, act like a man or be a man. Which if you have an older translation, that's exactly how they translate it. And the NIV gets it right because uh, this is not a chauvinistic statement to say, hey ladies, be a man. That's not what the Bible is saying. But in their culture, there was definitely a comparison between those who acted like a kid and those who acted like an adult. And so be courageous is the call to don't act childlike. Grow up. Act with maturity. And don't live like children anymore. And this is a word to some of you, and I'll say this, I'll say it in love, but I'll still say it. Some of you, in the number of years that you've been following Jesus, you're a teenager, like you've been following Jesus 17 years. But if you think about the patterns of your life, you're actually living like a child. The number of years of following Jesus does not equate to maturity in following Jesus. I only wish, because then if we started at 20 and we're 60, wow, 40 years of following Jesus, I'm mature. And all of us have been around long enough to know that's actually, that's actually not true. And that's not necessarily what's happening. So the call is to be grounded, steady in our faith, right? To know, to know what we believe and to stand on that and then to actually be courageous. Hopefully you're old enough or grow to be old enough where you realize that there are steps of faith that God's calling you to take and, and you take them. And so I think that's the heart of what it means to be courageous. And as a church, we want to live this way. We want to hear God's voice and we want to do what he tells us to do or stop doing what he's telling us not to do. And that takes a bit of maturity. So this is the call. All this has to do, by the way, with these, these commands, when we live this way, they build resolve. They build resilience. So resilience isn't a magic pill that you get when you come to a church gathering. It actually comes through the day-to-day -day rhythms of walking with Jesus through hard stuff. The fourth one is, is, doesn't even need a slide because it says, be strong. And it's a parallel to it. As a matter of fact, I think there's a hint here to the word. You've got to remember, Paul, his mind is immersed in the Bible and he knows the words of God to Moses and Joshua where he tells them multiple times in Exodus, be strong and of good courage, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And by the way, he often ties it when he speaks to Joshua, let the word of God be on your lips and on your mouth. Uh, be careful to know the word of God so that you do everything in it. Don't go to the left and don't go to the right because if you want your way to prosper, it happens when you're living out what God has said in day-to-day -day motion. And so God's words to Moses and Joshua are God's words to us. Be strong and courageous. And uh, 
The reason why I think we get this command, and maybe this is true of you, is sometimes we think wrongly that God's promises are easy. Like, I don't understand where God is in all this because God promised to be with us. And why do I feel this way or why do I struggle with this? If God said, I'll never leave you, Jesus said, I'll never abandon you, why is that not true for me? I think sometimes this happens because we have a misunderstanding. We think God's promises means easiness, and that's just not the case. As a matter of fact, Jesus never said that our life was going to be easy. He told his disciples, in this world, you're going to have trouble compounded by trouble, but don't get depressed. Be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome the world. Uh, God's promises come with challenge. Just think of the people of Israel and their entire story. God promised them, I'm going to get you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you into the land of promise. And what happens? Immediately, they're confronted with hunger. Immediately, they're confronted with an army that's out to get them. Immediately, they're living in the desert heat and they have no water. Was God not faithful to his promise? Was God lying? No. God's promises do come with opportunities to trust him. And by the way, then he says, I want to take it to the land. They get to the land. And what happens? There are armies waging war against them, trying to kill them. And these are the people of promise. So a resilient faith is, is a heart posture, right? A heart and a mind and a soul posture to stay steadfast in following Jesus no matter which way our culture or what's happening that's coming against me, we're going to stay faithful. And, and this, this, this comes in every set of relationships. Just think of you, of you parents out there, the whole idea of promise and challenge. Uh, I think we would agree, and parents, um, maybe I'm wrong. Would you say that your children are a gift? <laughs> Trick question. Don't answer that and do not post right now, okay? Yeah, yeah, your kids are a gift until, right? And then fill in the blank. Sometimes, yeah, our, our, our gifts are, our, our children are a gift, but at the same token, what they're going through might be really challenging or the pressure they're putting on us may be really severe. And so, yeah, every child is a gift, but doesn't mean that parenting is easy. And then if you're not a parent, just put this in any sphere of relationships. Every relationship is a gift, but remaining good friendships is challenging. Uh, if you have siblings, remaining healthy boundaries is challenging. If you work in a workplace with other people, you have problems because where there are people, there are problems. All of these are challenges. And, and so, so just because God promises the blessing of relationship, it doesn't mean we won't have rough spots. But we can live differently, Right? We can be grounded. We can know what we believe about Jesus. We can have uh, both the courage and the strength, be strong and courageous. We don't have to give in. And then finally, the fifth one is, I think, the most important, if I could say that. I don't know that. But I think for our scenario, it's the most important. And it says this, do everything out of love. How many things? Everything. Now, we could do a 10-week series on this, but we won't. Do everything out of anger. Do everything out of your rights as a fill-in-the-blank. Do everything out of what's best for me or for the people that I love. No, do everything out of love which means that we can live a strong, firm, grounded, courageous, uh, faith-filled life, but only if we check our motivation. And that's where I want us to lean as we think about the next coming weeks. In the end, this is about not picking up new habits only. Although some of us, we've got we to gotta inspect our habits. We're wondering why we're living the life we're living. And, and I'm just here to tell you that your, your life is a result of your habits. So don't get mad at everybody else and don't point the blame to everybody else when you're living the life that you are because that doesn't mean other things outside of our control don't come in. But when you look at the whole story, I think our current day right now is the results of our habits.
your, your health is a result of your habits. Your relational well-being is a result of your habits, how you treat people. It's not the only factor, but it's an important factor. And I think we need to put on the habit, the choice uh, to do things out of love. I uh, read a book, I just finished it before the series, and it's uh, titled, you're gonna love the title, Resilient Faith. <laughs> now you know where we got it. It's by a guy named Gerald Stitzer, uh, Sitzer, and he teaches at Whitworth, Whitworth University in Spokane. And he, and he cites, um, how did the Jesus movement grow in the early years before we had all these buildings and we had all of these systems and institutions? How, and he's a historian. How did the church, like it grew massively in the first 300 years, so much so that Rome, which was the, the empire that was ruling the world, Rome was on decline and the way of Jesus ended up overtaking the, the prominent worldview within 300 years. And mostly this is without any buildings or complex structures or live streams. How did it happen? And he quotes um, the letter to uh, Diognetus, which we don't know who Diognetus was, but this is a letter written to him about 130 years after Jesus, maybe to 250, we don't know precisely. But this is early on in the Jesus story. And look at what he writes, quote, Christians marry like everyone else and they beget children, but they do not cast out their offspring. They share their board with each other. There's the home, but not their marriage bed. They're not sleeping around. They obey the established laws, but in their own lives, they go far beyond what the law requires. What he's saying, and this is, this is early on, these Christians, they're hospitable to one another, but they have boundaries. Um, they get married uh, and, and they have kids, but in Rome, in Roman ideology, if your child was born ill, it was okay to leave them at the edge of the town to starve and die. Nothing wrong with that. They're not gonna make it anyway. I'll have another child. If you were looking for a son because there was value in men and the strength that they brought and the inheritance, if you had another girl, it was okay to leave that girl at the edge of town and that, that little baby girl would die. And it wasn't even seen as evil. Well, that's the gods take, take her. Um, she's of less value. It's not what we're looking for. We'll have another child. And, and there was this contrast. These Christians have relationships, but they actually they take their sons and daughters and see them as valuable and they don't cast them off. They ha they, they, uh, there's, they're traveling all the time. There's no hotels. They sleep in each other's house, but everyone doesn't get drunk in honoring of the gods and get into all sorts of debauchery and evil and wickedness. They're faithful in their marriage relationships. Now, not perfect, but the rich and poor eat together. The... the um, the learned and the ignorant, so to speak, are dear friends. This was a class system where the rich stay with the rich. And yet the way of Jesus was totally different. And what was one thing that was really um, eye-opening to me and really helpful to us is to realize the reason people saw it was not because of church buildings. They were in the cities, especially the, the Christianity grew fastest in urban settings because they had, like today, these high-rise apartment communities. And... Now, the rich lived on one level and the poor lived on another level, but they all saw and heard each other. There weren't like windows like we have them. There were holes where the air would flow, but you would hear everything. So when people came together to worship, they didn't have buildings, so they mostly met in homes. So they would either get in the courtyard, the Jesus people, and everyone would bring food and the rich and poor would eat together. They would sing these psalms. They would pray for the sick. They would read the Bible they would love one another. They would embrace, give a, a genuine hug, a holy kiss. They would share resources and dole out cash. And everyone in the apartment community saw it. And what convinced people to join this movement was this way of living, this resilience in their faith. And even when Rome came against them, it wouldn't stop these people from living an alternative way of living, a, a Jesus way of living, a Bible-centered way of living, genuine love. They saw genuine love on display, which is why Paul tells them in, in Corinth, 
Do everything out of love. Here's why. When you're yelling at your spouse, everyone's going to hear it. When you treat your children poorly, everyone's going to hear it. When you're fooling around when you shouldn't be, everyone's going to see it. And you can say one thing, but people are going to sniff it and know it and discern it. And so when we live the genuine faith, not a perfect life, but a growing life, people are going to be attracted to it. Now here's a last visual and, and we're done. My wife and I, we had a little getaway. Thanks to some friends were kind enough to surprise us with a little getaway in Silverton. And I'm going to show you a picture of a church. We were in downtown Silverton. We stayed at the uh, Oregon Gardens Resort for a couple of nights. And I, were, I was getting a coffee and I, want, I love churches, right? So I wanted to take a picture of this church only to find out it's not a church. It's just a former church. Uh, the building, by the way, is on the National Registry of Historic Buildings, so they can't demo it. It used to be Calvary Lutheran Church. Why? Because I checked Wikipedia. It later became known as First Christian Church. It was sold in 1975, so since 75, it hasn't been a church. But in 84, it became known as White Steeple Gallery and Tea Room. And it was closed at the time, probably because of COVID. But that photo, as I was thinking about the series and being with you today, really shook me. And I think it was like a Holy Spirit, like visual reminder for me. Jose, you could be a formally vibrant place where God's presence dwells and your life can slip and become a facade of what once was. Uh, and you could become a place where people look at pictures and drink a macchiato or an Earl Grey tea. Now that's just speaking to a building. Buildings come and go. So don't, don't go hyper literal on me. What I'm here to say is that we as a people, as a church, we could be a vibrant place where people experience the presence of God because we're engaging in the presence of God and we're growing in the presence of God and we're growing in loving one another and we're growing in caring for one another and the poor. We're growing in living out the way of Jesus in everyday life, not just Sundays. We could be that kind of people. And when others are like, man, my life is not what it should be, they see an alternative and they say like, oh my gosh, maybe this is the way I'm supposed to go. Or we could be a former signpost of life, but now a sign of something that is faded and no longer there. Basically what I'm saying is resilient, uh, resilient faith is a posture of the heart, right? So it's got to begin there. Uh, as we go, do we even want that? That's the question. Do you want that? And you can lie to me, you can lie to your friends, but you can't lie to Jesus. And so let's just take this moment. We're going to grab the bread and the cup. If, if you've already done so, because I'm in the building, I feel like obligated to use our church communion, a.k.a. I forgot to bring any uh, with me. But um, I've got the bread and the cup, and we want to take communion together and remember the Lord Jesus. We don't want... Uh, we don't want a faith that's stale. We want a faith that's growing. We want to grow in faithfulness to Jesus no matter what. So before we take the bread and the cup together, um, let's just be honest. Are you following Jesus? If not, why not right now? I would encourage you in your home, uh, watching this live or watching this later on, there's a button. If you're on the live stream, it's going to come up. Yes, today I choose to follow Jesus. Uh, as an act of faith, mark that. Let the online family know that, you know, I'm going from hearing about it to following myself. And, and then let's take in celebration of this new life. Jesus' body broken to pay for our sin in full. And Jesus' blood is enough to wash away every sin and wrongdoing. It's, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is the gift of God. It's not by work so that no human being can boast. And if you receive the Lord Jesus, the Bible says you will be rescued. So I encourage you, take that step even now. But if you have, I wonder if this, the step of faith and following Jesus is leading to a lifestyle that longs for grounded resilience. Uh, if not, or maybe that's just your heart, let's take this as an opportunity to come before God and say, God, I want all of you in me so that all of me can live for you. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we invite you by the power of the Holy Spirit to move beyond um, what we can see or hear because we're not in the building together. Holy Spirit of God, 
do something, I pray, in the lives of every person on every couch, in every bed, in every coffee shop, or wherever they find themselves, on their phone, in the car, on a run, wherever. Lord, work through even this tech to meet us in our place of need. And Holy Spirit, we remember Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection. It's now our renewed life. It's now our death to the past and the old and to the life lived apart from you. And Jesus, you're our hope for life now and the life to come. We want to follow you and live faithful to you to the end till we see you face to face. So Spirit of God, um, move in our world as we remember Jesus and eat and drink out of obedience to what he commanded. Amen. Let's, uh, let's eat and drink together. Together we belong to Jesus. And so <clears throat> one last thought uh, before we go. I hope to see you here in, uh, in person, on site uh, next Sunday. But just as a reminder that resilience comes in all areas of life. So even though we're not in the building together, I'm gonna invite you to continue to live generously, not to a church, not to me, but to Jesus. I think part of our a biblical resilience comes in obedience and the small things asking God to work in our lives and the big things. And one of those practices is to give, which it's better to give than to receive. And give and it will be given to you, Jesus said. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. In a sense, others will give back to you. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's a matter of walking by faith and obedience. And whenever we release God's resources back to his kingdom work, you know what we're saying is everything belongs to you, Jesus, and I trust you that the less that I have, because I've been generous, will be more than enough for me and others. And you can actually grow what's in my storehouse, so to speak. The amount of resources I have, you can grow it even as I lovingly give it away. And I hope that you're growing in the practice of generosity. You can give on the button. You can give through our app or at our website. Well, friends, I love you. Uh, next week, music. Yes, kids in their classes, yes. But until then, let's take steps towards living that resilience, uh, resilient faith even now. Our friend's gonna be on the chat for a few minutes. You got a question, you wanna pray. I'm gonna go from uh, speaking to kind of typing away for a few minutes. Would love to hear from you. Until next Sunday, God's grace and peace be with you.